While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists. And others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is the one who hit you? Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots, And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up this charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Immediately one of them ran and taking a sponge he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from from, from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. 
The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now, on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. We know that no matter how secure they made that grave, that was not going to keep our Lord in there, was it? On this Good Friday, we remember and meditate on the death and sacrifice of our Lord Jesus for our sins. Contrary to National Geographic documentaries, it wasn't the Roman Empire who killed Jesus, and it wasn't the Jewish people who killed Jesus. Jesus went to the cross in complete obedience to what he knew God the Father had ordained even before the foundations of the earth were laid. Before Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, if you wanted to live for God and do what he wanted you to do, there were several animal sacrifices you had to offer to God. There was one for unintentional sins once they became known. These sin offerings ensured that any kind of sin, even if previously unknown, was covered by the sacrifice, since any kind of sin is an affront to God. As soon as the person realized they had broken God's standard and sinned, whether priest or civil leader or the entire nation or even just one common person, they had to offer sin sacrifices so they would still be covered by the blood of the sacrifice and not be cut off from the nation. In all cases, the animals presented had to be perfect and without defect. There were specific examples given in Leviticus for both intentional and unintentional sins that required animal sacrifices for sin offerings. If you witnessed a crime and refused to testify, if you touched a carcass of a spiritually unclean animal, or if you made a foolish vow, if you could afford it, you must bring a perfect sheep or goat to cover each of those sins Every single time. 
If you couldn't afford a sheep or goat, you could offer two doves instead. And if you were extremely poor, you could offer two quarts of flour instead. If you had different kinds of bodily fluids come out of your body, you had to bring a sin offering to make yourself spiritually clean. If you were a woman who gave birth among other offerings to God, you had to bring a sin offering because of the blood that came out while giving birth. You had to bring these as sin offerings each and every time you realized you sinned. It makes your head spin when you think of how many animal sacrifices you had to bring before God and have killed to cover all these different kinds of sins or acts of uncleanliness. And then there was the Day of Atonement, still observed by the Jewish people today as Yom Kippur in the fall. On that day, among other offerings, the high priest was to take two male goats from the Jewish community. One was killed and its blood sprinkled. The other was driven into the wilderness. Both were to represent Israel's sin. One in death and the other represented Israel's sins being removed from among them. This was done once a year to atone for the sins of the entire Jewish community. The point of all of these sin-offering animal sacrifices was to remind the Jewish people, even on a daily basis, of the power of sin in their lives, along with how seriously God takes sin as most holy God. All of these needed to be atoned for in order to stay a part of God's holy nation. There was no sliding scale, and there was no free passes on anything. There was the law, and if you broke the law, you had to pay for your sin with an animal sacrifice. Sin must always be covered with blood and paid for by substitutionary death. In all of these cases, the substitutionary death was from animals. God has always taken sin seriously, still takes sin seriously, and will always take sin seriously. There is no God of the Old Testament who would smite people for their sins, and the God of the New Testament who is just a God of love and is more chill and doesn't take everything as seriously as he used to. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. However, the one difference that changed humanity forever was this. There was a perfect substitutionary death that paid for all sin. Past sin, unintentional sin, currently harbored sin, future sin committed, and even the inherent sin of simply being a fallen human being. And unlike the animal sacrifices, whose blood only covered sin and was only meant to be a temporary placeholder, this perfect sacrifice completely removed sin and the curse of that sin once and for all. The writer of Hebrews explains this in Hebrews chapter 10. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Verse 9, then he said, For uh, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second 
into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. And the author of Hebrews finishes up this part with, There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. See, all of God's people, all God's people could do was to offer the required sin sacrifices day after day after day and look towards the prophesied deliverer dying for them and taking their sin away. But we live in an incredibly blessed time. We get to be the recipients of the second covenant that the writer of Hebrews talked about, or the new covenant. God continues to take sin in our lives seriously, but accepts the sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect and sinless sacrifice on our behalf. As such, we have the power and condemnation of sin removed from us if we accept Jesus' death and resurrection for ourselves as a substitute and take that as the basis to repent of our sin. As such, we must still take sin in our lives as seriously as God does and know that he promises to forgive us each time we continue to sin if we confess and repent of it. And we know that only because of Jesus we all we, we have all of heaven and God's promises and blessings opened up to us as God's adopted children bought by the blood of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Any of this is only possible because of what Jesus went through for us on that Good Friday 2,000 years ago. All of the torture, the beating beyond recognition, the flesh on his back torn up with whips with pieces of broken glass tied to the ends, the humiliation and mocking, the crown of thorns shoved onto his head, the dragging of a splintery cross on his torn up back through the streets of Jerusalem and the jeers from the crowd, the pounding of giant nails into his wrists and feet, the torment of lifting himself up by those nailed wrists and feet on the cross every time he needed to take a breath until he finally took his last breath. All of it was to pay this once for all sin sacrifice for us. He suffered through all of it to obey God the Father's will and out of his love for us to make us adopted children of Almighty God. And we are so grateful for that. So as we are about to partake in these elements of communion, that which symbolize Jesus' crushed body and poured out blood, let us remember why he did it. To pay the sacrifice of death for our sin once and for all. 
As such, may we not spit on that sacrifice and everything Jesus suffered through by holding on to what we know is sin and breaking God's holy standard, God's holy moral standards in our lives. So before the men come forward to pass those elements out, I would like to take a moment for us to get anything and any sin we need to get right with God first before we knowingly partake in Jesus' communion.